Chapter Hundred and Six of Vani the Vampire, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avali. Vani the Vampire, Volume Two by Thomas Prescott Prest Chapter 106 The Preparations for the Baron's Marriage The Young Lover and the Remonstrance So it appeared that the Baron was right, and that, with all his disqualifications, he had succeeded in obtaining the promise of her wife, because he had the one great qualification which outshone everything to his disadvantage, namely wealth. And he was not so blind or so foolish as not fully to understand and to know that it was to the relatives of the bride and not to the bride herself that he was indebted for an answer in the affirmative to his proposition. He well knew that although he had dazzled their eyes and awakened their cupidity, he had produced no such an effect upon the young and beautiful being who was about thus to be sacrificed upon the altar of Mammon. And probably if anything could have added to his earnest desire to make her his, it was that he saw she was untouched by the power of his gold, and therefore he could not but respect as well as admire her, and he much preferred taking to his arms one for whom he entertained a supreme and sovereign contempt. She felt that she was a victim, and that if she consented to become his, she must look upon herself as blighted and sacrificed forever. But he was too selfish to hesitate on such a ground as that. His feelings were far from being so human as to stop short, because he knew the alliance was viewed by her with hatred and horror. And that she did view it with those feelings spared him at all events, as he told himself some trouble, for it took away from the necessity of keeping up the constant shew and glitter of wealth, for that shoe and glitter affected her not, and therefore would have been presented to her imagination in vain. But far different was it regarded her friends and connections, who had arrogated to themselves the power of deciding upon this matter of life and death to her. To them he felt that he must shew all the glitter of display that belonged to his extensive means or they would be disappointed for they not only wanted riches themselves but they wanted the worldly reputation contingent upon having so rich a relative therefore was it that he determined that nothing should be wanting at his approaching nuptials to make them most magnificent and he raked his imagination to discover a mode by which he could spend a large sum of money so as to get for it the greatest amount of display. This was a matter which a man such as he was 
eminently calculated to achieve and as he succeeded in fixing his nuptials to take place in a fortnight from that time he had ample time to make all such preparations as he might consider requisite it so happened that on the following evening on that on which he had obtained so strange a consent through another party to his matrimonial speculation that the sun sunk upon the coast with every appearance of approaching stormy weather scarcely had its disk sunk below the western horizon when a furious gale arose and for the first time since his residence at anderbury hall he felt what it was to hold an estate so near to the sea-coast the sea rose tempestuously appearing to shake the mansion to its very foundation and more than one half of the excavation leading from the grounds to the sea-coast was filled with water the gale blew off the sea and one or two trees upon the anderbury estate were torn up by their roots spreading destruction round them among the numerous shrubs and flowers some of the windows of the mansion were dashed in and the wind came roaring into the house whistling up the staircases opening and shutting doors and altogether procuring a scene of devastation and uproar which would have terrified most persons the baron however on the contrary notwithstanding whatever damage was done was of course done to his property took the matter with the greatest ease and composure in the world and in fact rather seemed to enjoy the fury of the elements than to be awed by them he remained out of doors the whole time and although the rain now and then fell in torrents and drenched him to the skin he seemed scarcely conscious of that circumstance or if he were he evidently thought it too trivial to take any notice of the servants looked at him in amazement scarcely believing it possible that any one in his senses could be so indifferent to the rage of the elements that was proceeding but they little knew the real character of the man whom they had for a master or they would have wondered at nothing and been surprised at nothing that they saw of him or heard of him the storm continued until the night completely set in and still it showed no signs whatever of anything in the shape of an end and it seemed but too evident that it was likely to continue in all its wild and ungovernable fury for many an hour to come he got as close as he could to the beach so as not to leave his own estate and from there he listened attentively to the howling of the blast seeming rather pleased with the idea than otherwise that much mischief was being done by that most terrific storm a servant brought him a telescope so that he could look out upon the waste of waters and see some of the struggling vessels that with might and main were endeavouring to keep off the shore but which despite all their efforts were being hurried to destruction a destruction which they could not avoid and which must present itself in the most serious aspect because 
it appears inevitable and is invested with all the misery of a protracted execution and in particular he remarked one vessel which was drifting onward to certain and inevitable destruction he could see the rockets and the blue lights that they burned now and then through the storm while ever and anon with a booming strange sound over the waste of waters there would come the signal gun of distress with its awful reverberations awakening feelings of sympathy in the breast of every one but the baron and he seemed impenetrable to all human feeling for he looked on with a strange calmness a calmness that one might suppose would set upon some man who had nothing to do with human hopes human thoughts or human feelings but not by any means that calmness of a pure spirit looking upon things which it would aid if it could but which are beyond its power of action he saw the anxious throng of persons on the beach precisely below his own estate he saw them launch a boat and with a grim smile he saw it swamped in the surge and the brave bold men who had made the gallant endeavour to save their fellows met themselves with but one exception a watery grave and then even the baron smiled and muttered to himself what is all this to me what have i to do with human hopes and feelings what is it to me whether they live or die or whether yon ship that i now see struggling through the waste of waters reaches its destination or is engulfed forever in the foaming surge what is it to me i repeat whether these bold brave men live or die will they not be the very persons to hunt me from the face of society will they not be the very persons who would declare that i was unfit to live and shall i trouble myself with one thought as to whether they live or die ah they come nearer 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 still and i shall see such a sight as may not often be observed by one such as i am and on such a coast as this there was a strange wild wailing cry and the ship which was a large one struck heavily upon a rock about a mile distant from the shore and very close indeed to where the anderbury estates commenced now as if seized with a sudden impulse although we cannot and do not think it was one of humanity the baron descended by a large fissure in the rock to the beach this took him some time to accomplish for he had to walk completely through the grounds of the anderbury hall half a mile beyond before he reached it and then it took him some time to walk down because he had to do so with extreme caution inasmuch as the heavy rain that had fallen had made the ground so slippery that it was with great difficulty he could at all keep his feet when he arrived in the sight of the beach the ship was gone but a lifeboat was being launched amid the hurrahs of the multitude for the purpose of picking up some of the survivors of the wreck who were noticed drifting upon portions of its hulk 
the baron had brought his telescope with him and he placed it to his eye and took a long and steady look at the boat a muttered malediction came from his lips and having shut the telescope he turned and hastily pursued his path again to underbury house after the wedding jack pringle really felt himself so upset by the quantity of health he had drunk and the general manner in which he had disposed of a quantity of rum that he told the admiral he found himself not quite so well as he ought to be and that he thought it was all owing to having been out of sight of water for so many months this was a plea which sounded very reasonable to the admiral and when jack said you know it ain't possible to live very long without a glimpse at least of an arm of the sea or something of that sort the old man assented to the proposition at once and replied why that's true enough jack and i shall have to go somewhere myself soon or else get musty for you may depend it never was intended that human beings should live all their lives on land i should think not said jack and i what i was going to say was that you must try and take care of yourself you old baby for a day or two while i take a run to the coast it ain't above twenty-five miles and mind you don't get into any mischief till i come back confound your impudence it's a very odd thing that you can't come into my presence without a lie in your mouth you know you have been as much trouble to me as a cargo of monkeys in a storm be off with ye and if i never see your face again it will be a good job jack considered that he had quite sufficiently announced his departure so he set off at once and made his way towards the coast not a little pleased as he neared it to fancy that every now and then he kept snuffing the sea air and when the coach in which he went put him down within about four miles of a little village inhabited by fishermen he walked that distance although sailor-like it was an exercise he was by no means fond of and to his great joy once more stood upon a sandy beach and heard the murmur of the ocean and saw the waves curling at his feet he was quite delighted and really felt or fancied he felt which was the same thing wonderfully invigorated by the change and quite another thing to what he had been under such circumstances jack was sure not to be long in picking up a companion so in one of the cottages into which with all the free and easy manner of a sailor he strolled he found an old man of war's man retired there to spend the remainder of his days along with his son and daughter we feel that it would be quite impossible for us to do justice to the meeting between those two worthies for they soon found out the capabilities of each some grog which jack thought the sweetest he had tasted for a long time because it was drunk within the sight of the ocean was produced 
and then the tales they set to telling each other of their adventures of lord would have been enough to stun any one we have rather a fear likewise that in some cases they were not so strictly particular as they might have been had they been upon their oaths as regards truth but they seemed to be upon the principle of mutual forbearance and the implied understanding of you believe me and i'll believe you whenever this kind of rivalry however commences between inveterate storytellers there is no saying to what length they will go and jack certainly related some extraordinary things they happened both to have been to the same latitude but of course they had not both seen the same sights exactly or enjoyed the same adventures so what one did not know or could not invent the other pretty soon did so that between them they made up a most entertaining conversation and one which really would to any one who was willing to be amused and not very particular about veracity have had great charms ah said the old sailor when i was on the coast of Engi, the hair melted off my head did it said jack oh that's nothing at all we had a couple of men roasted at the wheel with the heat and they didn't know it till they were both done brown you don't say so yes i does and what's more we always had our meat cooked over again upon one of the gun slides and after that when we were a long way southward it was so cold not one of the crew shut his eyes for a week indeed but you spoke of a man as you called safety jack who was he i should like all for to know when i was on board the fame our captain was a know-nothing sort of shore-going lubber who had been gaffed a pair of swabs over better men's heads and uncommon afeard he was of getting into any danger he was always coming on deck on a morning and gaffing a kind of a hurry-scurry scared look all round him he'd say if so be as he seed no land where are we is there any danger then a first laugh he'd say no danger sir only a little fear then the captain he'd say all the while looking as scared as a marine in a squall let us be safe let us be safe that's all so we called him safety jack in consequence of that peculiarity well you must know as we were running for the cape and safety jack he wouldn't be persuaded but insisted upon hugging the coast of africa all the way cause as he said it looked safer to see the land so as it happened when we neared the cape we got into a regular northwesterly current that set clear away southeast so it might be a few points more southerly the wind too blew in the same direction and it seemed a bad job altogether i laughed then says says he to the captain that's safety jack you must understand 
it will take us some time to work into the bay with this wind and current but we can do it is it safe said safety jack oh yes said the other though i have known a vessel of small draught to be capsized hereway safety jack at this turns very pale and he says well run before the wind a few leagues to the south it's safer and and the gale may go down and we may get out of the current and and besides it's safer well everybody grumbled that safety jack would have his own way and we went spanking along with the wind and current nearly due south but instead of getting out of the current we got further into it and the gale increased to a hurricane we went through the water at such a rate that the men who stood facing the wind could not button their jackets or shut their eyes and there was the mate and five able-bodied men holding the captain's hair on his head the men's teeth too were all blown out of their mouths and kept rattling among the rigging like a half dozen old shot in a locker on we went faster and faster till all of a sudden we saw the rails flapping against the masts and the ship was evidently turning around in spite of the helm you're out of it mumbled safety jack i think we are in for it cried the mate this is the whirlpool and so it was round and round we flew like lightning coming nearer to one point at each turn the men all fell down on the deck as giddy as geese and safety jack he began screaming just to give you an idea of how we went around there was two of the crew as had a squabble about a bottle of rum and one of them says if i can't have it you shan't and there it goes shaking it behind him well you'll hardly believe it but the ship was going round so fast in a circle of about a mile that afore the bottle could drop the man as through it was brought round to it again and it knocked his eye out well presently the ship gives a kind of shivering and stops for half a moment and safety jack he screams again then the water opened like a well-hole and just for a moment we could see it bubbling and lashing like a boiling cauldron then down we went into the foaming surge like a lump of lead you don't mean to swear to that yes i do at any time and any day i should think so and rather think i ought to know as i was there and how did you get saved that's the question my boy you ought to be satisfied about that i should think said jack by seeing me here if i had not escaped i rather suppose i shouldn't have been here to have told you about it that's all very well but i ask you how you escaped oh that's quite another thing i floated about for eight weeks upon an empty tar barrel eight weeks did you say yes eight weeks two days four hours and three quarters 
the deuce you did how came you to be so mightily particular as to the three quarters because i thought some fool would be sure to ask me oh that indeed but the most odd thing that happened to me i will say was when i was once wrecked on an island that we called flea island flea island what a rum name what made you call it that i should like to know oh a trifling circumstance there was nothing in it but fleas and they were as big as elephants very good said jack i can believe that because there is nothing outrageous about it i don't consider myself at all difficult to please and so long as you stick to such things as that nobody can doubt you will find it all right with me i'm very much obliged but should you happen ever to come across that captain of yours again yes but it were a good while afterwards i was on board a whaler that i saw something floating that looked like a great hump of chalk and when we picked it up who should it turn out to be but safety jack and what they called putrefied and turned to something like white coral you don't mean that yes i do we keep him out of curiosity for about a week lashed up to the mainmast but the men of the night watch were scared at him and threw him overboard because they said when the moonlight fell upon him he for all the world looked like a ghost and they couldn't keep their eyes off him which i dare say was somewhere about the truth you certainly have seen a little service but mix yourself another glass of grog and i shall do the same for i don't mean to turn into hammock to-night what for because there is going to be a storm i have not been looking at the weather for so many years without being able to tell that before it comes there will be a storm before twenty-four hours are over and i think it will blow off the sea so that there will be no end of mischief jack pringle went to the door of the fisherman's hut and although the evening had set in he cast a scrutinizing glance at the heavens looked earnestly in the direction from whence the wind proceeded and when he came back again and sat down by the side of the old sailor he said you're right there will not only be a storm but such a one too as they haven't seen for some time so i shall no more think of turning in than you do who knows but what vessel may be drifted in shore and then we who are seamen will be able to do more good than a score of your shore-going fellows who are afraid if the salt water gets above their ankles that's true enough when the wind does rise in this way and blows a strong gale it's pretty clear that there will be something in the shape of wreck to look at the prognostications of jack and the old sailor turned out as we know to be tolerably correct for the storm which they had anticipated was precisely that severe one which roused the baron stolmuyer of salzburg from his lethargy and induced him to go down to the beach to see what was likely to be the fate of the vessel from which the signals of distress had proceeded 
as soon as the wind began to howl and the waves to dash upon the shore jack pringle and the old sailor left the cottage and stood with great anxiety upon the beach anxious to render what assistance they could to those who were suffering from the fury of the storm we have before mentioned that a boat that the baron stolmoyer saw swamped had ventured out to the assistance of the crew in that boat had been jack pringle and he had refused to allow the old sailor to accompany him on account of his age no no said jack this is a work for youngsters and they and they only ought to set about it you remain where you are we know well enough that your will is good and let that be sufficient and now my lads who will go with me jack soon got a few good volunteers and started out on his chivalrous expedition to see what could be done towards rescuing some of the crew of the distressed ship but alas what the baron had said about the fate of that boat was true although he was incorrect as regarded the consequences of its swamping to all on board for jack pringle in consequence of being a first-rate swimmer and possessed likewise as he was of great coolness and presence of mind contrived to reach shore again although he was the only one of the ill-fated crew who really did so but as jack himself said they died in a noble cause and as everybody must die some time in some sort of way he didn't see that they had anything very particular to complain of in that respect it was on a second occasion however that jack was going out with a lifeboat that the baron reached the beach and then as if indignant that such daring attempts should be made to save what he evidently thought so little of namely human life he retired in indignation again to his home but not all the barons in the world would have stopped jack in his chivalrous enterprise and so he proceeded at once to carry it out to the best of his ability and he did pick up a man who was nearly exhausted and clinging with but a faint hope of deliverance to a portion of wreck End of chapter 106